Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus 19, verses 1 through 8. And uh, this is when they are finally uh, getting to Sinai. This is the people who God has had Moses bring out of uh, slavery in Egypt, and they've been wandering around since then on their way to Sinai. Well, now they're finally getting there, and there's going to be a lot that happens while they're there. Um, Before I read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we do uh, thank you for your word which you have given to us. Well, this morning we ask that you would help us as we hear your word read and proclaimed. God, that, um, that as food strengthens our body, so your word and your spirit would strengthen our souls. God, that we would, um, that we would be fed, uh, that we would be renewed, that we would be refreshed. God, that we would uh, be drawn closer to you and to each other, and that we would be changed evermore even today by your word and by your spirit into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 8, says, On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession." Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Turning then, Gospel reading is Luke 2, 41 to 52. We have been following in the life of Jesus and uh, left off with him as a child who is growing. And then um, we get here one story of him uh, kind of between childhood and adulthood, starting in verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Well, we have been uh, looking at the uh, book of 1 Corinthians. It's the letter that Paul has written to the church in Corinth, who, uh, as we have mentioned, has been facing the challenges of simultaneously trying to follow Jesus together, but also facing the various pressures of the culture around them, a culture that was not very interested in following Jesus. They had very different ways of going about things. And one of the things that we have been looking at is the ways that those pressures uh, on the church uh, had actually been influencing the church and the way in which uh, you see the people who are part of this church in Corinth uh, living not as much like Jesus as they are living like Corinth. And so uh, one of the things that we're seeing through this letter is the way that Paul just goes back again and again to what is the gospel? (laughs) What is it that God has done for us in Jesus? And then how then does that affect how we are living here and now? And so we see this in the way that uh, he addresses various problems in the church in Corinth. And then we, of course, we also see that held up to us as a mirror for ourselves today. And so the, uh, the question they were facing then is, you know, how have they been influenced by the broader culture? And how does the gospel um, reshape them as a people into the image of uh, Jesus? And the first issue that we've been looking at uh, for, uh, yeah, chapters 1 through 4 have all been dealing with this issue of unity in the church and the the division that was happening there and the way that people were uh, puffing themselves up with pride because they were the real Christians, because they followed this guy or they followed this guy. And Paul's like, what are you doing? (laughs) This is not what this is supposed to be. In fact, all of us, uh, Apollos, Paul, uh, Peter, they're all working for the same purpose. They're all working for the same uh, goal. And this is for the whole church to grow up to maturity in Jesus. And uh, so he talks about, you know, it's like a field where one person plants and another person waters. Same goal. Or like a building where there's the one foundation, but we're all building on it. And we've got our different parts, but we're all building the same thing. And so the division that's happening They've labeled it as something that's Christian, but it's not Christian. And so that's one of the things we were looking at this last week is the ways in which uh, we have this tendency to follow the world and not recognize that's what we're doing because we give it Christian labels. And so um, today we're looking at uh, a similar idea, but this time with a warning. And so um, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Uh, Paul writes, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did, and if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. 
We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline? Or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Hopefully, uh, you were able to follow what he is saying there. And there's uh, obviously a situation that is happening here that Paul wants to warn them about. And this is... um, Similar to last week where we uh, had to go back and look at something that, uh, a parable that Jesus told, this time I think it's really important that we go back and look at um, an incident in Jesus's life. This is uh, as his ministry, public ministry, was just about to kick off, and this is in Matthew chapter 4, and this may be familiar to some of you. Here we go. This says, when Jesus was led Oh, no. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came, and attended him. All right. Why would we read that? What does it have to do with what with the problems that Paul was addressing? And I think that the uh, that what it has to do is that the the specific issue that is being addressed is the worldliness that is uh, has been uh, kind of seeped into the life of the church in Corinth. Here's what I mean. You have people here where he's saying, oh, you've already begun to reign. You already have all you want. You've already become rich. Um, that you are, uh, you're so wise and you're strong and you're honored. This is what they're boasting about. This is what they're bragging about. That, oh, well, in Jesus, we are the ones who are now uh, reigning and ruling in this world. And we are the ones who uh, now have everything that we want in an earthly sense. We are the ones who uh, have this, uh, this wisdom that the whole world respects. And Paul says, 
I don't know how you think this is the Christian way of looking at things. And so he goes on and he explains about himself, about the other apostles. And when we look back at what, uh, what we see in the temptation of Jesus, the temptation he faced was the same, wasn't it? All the glory and the power and the splendor of all the earthly things, everything the world has to offer. No suffering. No cross. Win-win. Oh, just one small thing. <laughs> you, you do have to bow down to Satan. <laughs> it's like, oh, a no. <laughs> and so Jesus says no all of those times, knowing that the way that is right is the way of the cross. Of course, uh, then Jesus goes on to call his disciples to do what? To follow him, right? Follow him to glory? Yes. But through what? The cross, the suffering, the rejection by the world and the worldly systems. I mean, this is what he says. uh, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Yeah? And then you look at the lives of all of his uh, disciples because sometimes what you'll hear is, well, that was before Jesus went to the cross. That's why you see Jesus suffering. But after his resurrection, it's all good things now. It's all uh, sweetness and light in this world, and there is no more bitterness. There is no more suffering. There is no more pain. There is no more sorrow. There are no more tears. And if you are facing any difficulty or challenge or suffering in your life, it's because you don't have enough faith. Have you heard this kind of thing? This is kind of stuff that's being spread in the church in Corinth, and this is the kind of stuff that Paul says, no. All of that stuff that uh, the devil is offering to Jesus is stuff that Jesus will get, right? After the cross, after the suffering. And all of this is um, what, you know, we look at the end of the book of Revelation and we see this is what we will get, (laughs) right? That there is a time coming where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death, no more suffering. But not yet. And so what Paul is saying is don't make the mistake of following what the devil was presenting, that sales pitch of you can have all this world and avoid all the suffering. And you can even call it Christian. He says, don't do that. He says, look at, look at my life. In fact, you look at the lives of the disciples, because like I say, some people look at this and go, well, that was before Jesus went to the cross, but now it's all like this. No, it wasn't. Oh, yeah, because now, you know, Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in their lives and they go out with power. And so they have all this power uh, and they're able to command sickness away. And no, no more sickness, no more death. No more, they were going to raise the dead. My goodness. So no more suffering, right, on this side of the resurrection of Jesus. But follow the life of Paul. Follow the lives of all the disciples. And uh, according to church tradition, uh, all of them but one was killed because of their faith. Not killed because of their lack of faith. (laughs) Killed because of their faith. 
And even the one who wasn't killed because of his faith was exiled because of it and actually uh, treated horribly. We won't go into the details. Uh, because of his faith. All of them faced suffering because of being a Christian. All of them faced rejection by the world and by the systems of the world because of their faith in Jesus. And what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth is it's a really attractive offer to gain all the things of the world and forfeit your soul, but it's not worth it. Sounds like Jesus, right? So this is what Paul is pointing out, is saying this is, where, this is how you are living. You are living this way. You're boasting about these things. You're bragging about this stuff. And, um, and I want you to reconsider. I want you to reconsider this uh, way of life that looks just like the rest of the world and doesn't look like Jesus. And so he says, look at those of us who are following Jesus and what it looks like in our lives. And um, we're fools for Christ, Right? We don't live the way the rest of the world lives. I mean, look at the uh, verse we have even up here. You know, when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Who in the world, and I mean it like that, who in the world gives that kind of advice? Right? When, When we're cursed, what does the world say we're supposed to do? Oh, you give it back, right? And then some. <laughs> when we're persecuted, what are we supposed to do? According to the world. Oh, you throw a fit. And you make sure that doesn't happen anymore. When we're slandered, whoa, someone talks bad about it. What, what are we supposed to do? Right? You make sure you talk bad about them. You make sure everybody knows how much worse than uh, how much worse they are than you are, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and on it goes. But Paul says, "No, we don't live by the ways of the world, and we don't take the ways of the world and then try to fit them into Christianity. We live a different way. We have a different life, and it's a life that looks like Jesus." At the end. He says uh, that he's he's coming. This also sounds a lot like Jesus. (laughs) Um, And he's going to see how things are with him. And uh, that's one of the things that we have looked at. Parables Jesus tells. um, Actually, in Mark 13... Uh, Jesus says, but about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It is like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or, uh, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Jesus is coming back to see how we have been living, uh, to check in. Not that he doesn't know already, but you get the point. And Paul is saying the same thing to the church in Corinth. Saying, some of you are living as though I'm not coming back. I'm coming back. Some of us are living as though Jesus is not coming back. He's coming back. And what Paul is saying is, when I come back, I'm going to find out uh, how these arrogant people are talking. But not just that, but about what power they have. 
says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. In other words, it is, uh, it is one thing to talk about the kind of uh, life that looks like Jesus. It's one thing to talk about the, uh, the ways that people are living in opposition to God and his ways. It's a whole other thing to have your life transformed from the inside out to where you become more and more like Jesus. That's a kind of power the world doesn't have. And this is where uh, Paul says, you know, we'll see. When, when I get there, we'll see. Is it all talk? Or are your lives really being changed? And of course he says this, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, verse 14. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. I think that's so important to keep in mind that as Paul is writing this, as he is pointing out the ways that they are following the wrong way, it's not in condemnation. It is in love that he points it out, in the hope that they will repent, in the hope that they will come back in the same way that when you see uh, your own child going the wrong direction, you don't go, well, guess that's that. No. You encourage them to come back uh, to what is good and true and right. You pray that that will be the response. And you continue to love them uh, no matter what. This is uh, what we see with Paul, even to a church that has gotten pretty far off track. Uh, we have seen really one instance so far of kind of how, how far they've gotten off track with their division and the following the ways of the world. Um, but we're going to see more as we continue through this letter. Next week, it uh, gets um, hmm, a little PG-13. So uh, anyway, it's been pretty tame up till now. Anyway, uh, but they've gotten pretty far off track. And still, he refers to them as his dear children, as those that he actually does love in the Lord and is praying for and uh, wants good for them. And what this means, though, for him to want good for them is he actually wants them to reject the gaining of the whole world that the world has to offer. He wants them to take up their cross and follow Jesus. In other words, there is a suffering component that goes along um, with being a Christian. And that's a hard thing to want for somebody, is to go through hard things. But you know, uh, if you have, if you look back over the course of your life and you think about the times that you have grown the most and you think about the times that were hardest in your life, an awful lot of those are going to overlap, aren't they? And what we always want to do looking forward is go, all right, I want more growth but less of the pain, <laughs> less of the hard things. 
less of the things that actually lead to growth. And what Paul says is, I love you enough to want you to not fall for that. But even to go through the hard things, to be willing to take up your cross and to follow Jesus. Um, <clears throat> one other image to leave you with is in the uh, end of the book of Genesis. You have the story of Joseph. And in the story of Joseph, he starts as a teenager where he is um, having dreams of greatness, where his whole family is going to be bowing down to him. And you flip to the end of the book, and that's exactly what happens. He becomes second of command over the entire nation of Egypt, and his whole family comes to him at a time of a famine where they cannot survive without his help. And he helps them, and they bow down to him. And if you cut out the whole middle section, it looks like the lie of Satan. Follow me, and you go from this to this with no hardness. No hardship, no suffering, no pain. But that's not the story we get. The story we actually get of Joseph uh, shows that he goes from his dreams of greatness into betrayal by his brothers, being sold into slavery, being unjustly thrown into prison, and things just seem to go from bad to worse to worse. That's the trajectory of his life. He does end up (laughs) just like the dream said, but only after the suffering, and the pain. Uh, This is a pattern, if you learn to recognize it, that you see all over the pages of Scripture, in the lives of those who are following Jesus then, and in the lives of those who follow Jesus now. Then he says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you. That's my dear children. With this in mind, let us continue to love each other, to warn each other, to help each other, embrace the life that God has given to us and the ways that he is shaping us and growing us, even in our suffering, to be more like Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for your word. Even when it is a hard message to hear. God, we thank you for for what you reveal to us. About what is true and right and good. Lord, we do pray that you would help us. As we... uh, as we follow you, God, to trust, to trust you enough to follow where you lead and not try to escape when you lead through um, the darkest valley, but help us to remember that you are with us and that you have good uh, in store. God, help us to be formed and shaped more and more and more by your word and by your spirit than by the words and the ways of this world.
Father, we pray this all in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.